I would say this. When you're in the first responder world or the military world, we are trained day in and day out on how to turn the volume up, to make things more intense. Intensity is where we live. We train for it, and then when we have to execute, intense circumstances. And I know the military, at least, is starting to recognize this, and I imagine the first responder world is too. You can't stay in that space all the time. It's not healthy, right, to be in any one thing for an extended period of time. And so we've been trained on that side. Yoga is the opposite. It's the how do you not be intense all of the time? How do you take what you've learned from those experiences and also learn the other side, how to soften, how to relax, how to release tension, how to release stress and those things. So you're not constantly holding on and you're becoming a more balanced individual. I'm your host, Derek Vanderwalker, and today's guest is Dominic Stanley. As a first sergeant, Dominic's job is to provide support for his troops, health, morale, welfare, that sort of thing. And you know, it doesn't hurt that he's also a yogi who practices and teaches yoga. But it wasn't always that way. When Dominic returned home from his deployment in Iraq six years ago, like other returning veterans, he encountered some of the same struggles and challenges with reacclimating to civilian life. He was a runner. He liked to lift weights and do other types of endurance activities. But it wasn't until his wife came across a Groupon ad for a hot yoga class and suggested he try it. He started going to classes regularly and then daily. And shortly thereafter, as Dominic says, it just became a thing. So Dominic Stanley, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Derek. Happy to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection with the military. Yeah, so I'm a lot of different things. Dad, father, as you know, I'm currently in the Air National Guard. I am a first sergeant in the Air National Guard. So my job primarily is to provide unit support for health, morale, welfare, things of that nature. And since I'm on your podcast, in case your listeners aren't aware, I'm a yogi, right? So I I teach and do yoga. So tell us a little bit about how you got into yoga. What were the circumstances of your life? What were you doing? Was there an individual or an event that brought you to the practice? Yeah, actually, five, six years ago now almost, I was deployed, went to Iraq, came back, kind of struggled and dealt with some of the challenges that are associated with returning home. And I've always been big into fitness, so weightlifting, running, any type of endurance. So I was already doing things like that before I found yoga. But my wife happened to come across a Groupon and she said, hey, there's this hot yoga place that's by your work. You should check it out. And that kind of sent me in the direction of yoga. I started going to class and then I started going to class every day and then it just became a thing. And then I started teaching shortly thereafter. So what drew you to it, was it more about the physical aspect or was there something more about you knew that there'd be more to it than just the fitness? No, it was all fitness, right? Like, so, I mean, I took it because I was a big runner and did a lot of endurance running as well. And so I I naturally, like most people, tight, stiff, thought it'd be a good idea to loosen up some muscles and to to kind of just get some good quality stretching in. And so I showed up for, I came to the practice for the physicality of it and really enjoyed that, enjoyed the challenges. And then I, I found the other components that the practice offers. So. So tell me a little bit about when you got into yoga, you looked to get ultimately trained to teach, correct? 
Well, I didn't start off with that in mind. I became a really good student first, right? So I go to class regularly, consistently, progressing along the way. And my mentor slash teacher at the time, I feel like she saw something in me and she presented the option and said, hey, have you ever considered teaching? And I I said, well, you know, I, I haven't considered it, but let me think about it, right? And as I sat and kind of did my pros and cons list, right, of figuring out, is this a good idea? I found a lot of synergies there with everything in my life in the yoga practice. And I also understood how much it had changed my life. So I felt if I could give people the opportunity to have that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a bad thing. And back then, what was the style or type of yoga that you were doing and then ultimately got trained in? My original training comes from a Bikram background. So I was doing hot yoga. And I will say that probably has to do with just the nature of my personality. I like to do intense things. And if you've ever taken a high yoga class, it's an intense experience for some. So that was a component of it. So I was originally trained from the Bikram lineage. And so that's kind of how I started. But as I went down the rabbit hole, I picked up a few other things along the way with some Ashtanga, Rocket, different things like that. So let's hit some of those. So you're certified. You did your 200-hour teacher training in Bikram or a version of Bikram. What else did you pick up along the way? So I'm certified in rocket yoga, which is an offshoot from Ashtanga. So again, heavily vinyasa-based practice, lots of options for handstands and pretty weird things. And I think that helped me to explore that part of the practice. And then I also got trained in iRest Yoga Nidra for meditation because I started using it and wanted to further that along with my Warriors at Ease certification and then... I also have a functional mobility certification as well. So I picked up a few different things to kind of layer on top of just the traditional yoga practice. It gets a little addictive when you start learning about how this connects to that. And and pretty soon it's Pilates, it's yoga, it's mobility, <laughs> it's, you know, it's psychology, it's a little religion. And, you know, so I hear you. So when did you do the Warriors at Ease training? And did you do both levels or one level? Or can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I did the Warriors at Ease training. I want to say it's been a couple of years back when I did that. It was early on when I started teaching. It was one of the first certifications I wanted to get because this, the veteran population and audience is near and dear to my heart, number one, because I'm part of it. But number two, I know how much it's helped me progress and definitely wanted to have and understand what it's like to be in a yoga room coming from that background. So the Warriors at Ease was one of the first certifications I got. It's my level one. Life hasn't given me an opportunity for level two yet, but hopefully in the coming year, we'll see We'll see that happen. So yeah, I found out about IRES through Warriors at Ease, and then that sent me down that rabbit hole, and that's how I found IRES and started that. So tell us a little bit about what you learned from Warriors at Ease, and how has that experience helped you in your practice and also helping in teaching? Yeah, I think the primary thing I learned about and really got my eyes attuned to was the idea of trauma and how that presents in a human being, which it's a very complicated answer, but the signs to look out for, the things to be sensitive to, the environment, the way as a teacher, you have to navigate a space differently with individuals that kind of have been through something, which pretty much is everyone, right? (laughs) For the most part. And so it just, it made me more empathetic to that and helped me to connect the dots from my military life to my yoga life. Like I understood those things in the context of the military and what they've trained me. But it's funny how when you're kind of in two different worlds, 
you don't recognize how they overlap until something kind of helps bridge that gap. And that's what Warriors at Ease did for me. So, so on that note, how would you say the practice of yoga is relevant for the military community and first responder community as well? Yeah, I would say this. The one thing you can know for sure when you're in the first responder world or the military world is we are trained day in and day out on how to turn the volume up to make things more intense. Like we, by nature, intensity is where we live. We train for it. And then when we have to execute intense circumstances. And I know the military, at least, is starting to recognize this. And I imagine the first responder world is too. You can't stay in that space all the time. Like you just... (laughs) It's not healthy, right, to be in any one thing for an extended period of time. And so we've been trained on that side. Yoga is the opposite, right? It's the how do you not be intense all of the time? How do you take what you've learned from those experiences and also learn the other side, how to soften, how to relax, how to release tension, how to release stress and those things. So you're not constantly holding on and you're becoming a more balanced individual as a result. And that's not just when you're done with your service. It's while you're in service and just living your day to day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, because eventually the volume goes so loud, you can't turn it down, right? For some, it's not everybody's experiences, but you get stuck in that state. And so you don't know how to shift out of that state. Um, So you're constantly revving, you're constantly turned up, your nervous system is constantly activated, and your body's just not designed to live there. It's designed to visit, but it's not designed to. And even chronic stress over time still will wear down on your body and your mind. Absolutely. So how are you currently sharing and practicing yoga? Currently, I teach here in in my local area. I have a home studio practice there, here, where I teach over at, at a studio here. And then I teach online through an organization called Own Practice. They're a really awesome veteran-focused organization. So I, I offer my services there online. And then I have some YouTube classes. I kind of just put yoga out on the internet, starting to do more and more of that, but definitely offering classes here in my local area. I'm not teaching right now because I just got back from a deployment in R&R state. But after the turn of the year, I'll start veteran-focused classes that I like to do and and offering stuff to my unit and others. So, Do you have a preference for being in-person versus online? And how do you see the difference between teaching online versus teaching in person? Yeah, so I do. I prefer being in person. Yoga has a, you know, if, if you've ever been in a yoga class, for those who, who have yet to, when you go to an in-person class, there is an experience there. There is an energy there. You can read the room. You, you can feel where your students are in space. I can physically see when I've exhausted a room or when I need to turn it down or when I need to maybe switch from the plan and go more towards a less active class, more towards a restorative type situation. So I feel it's easier to do that stuff in person. You lose a lot of that through video. I mean, you could see people, but you don't feel them the same way you do in person. So now the reach, obviously, and the scalability of video is the benefit. The option to connect with more people is also the benefit. But yeah, I prefer in person. (laughs) One of the themes in this Warriors at Ease podcast series is restoration. What does restoration mean to you? It means learning how to listen to that intuitive voice that we all have. 
the one that tells us that, man, you should probably not take that extra lap or maybe you should rest in or I don't feel well. You know, the one we often push past to reach our goals and to, to, to achieve the things we want in life. It's learning how to build a better relationship with that voice and being okay with not always doing everything in the most intense fashion, right? Being able to oscillate between those two and have faith that you can. Because I think often, uh, at least for me, I didn't always believe that I could. I felt that if I ever stopped for a moment, would I ever be able to start again? And so I've learned over time, yes, I'm actually able to start again better from a different perspective with more wisdom and a little more energy. And so I think of being restored both physically and mentally. So it's a holistic thing for me. So how has yoga helped cultivate that awareness and that ability to know what you need and when you need it? Yeah. Yoga is the place that I grow that relationship. My yoga practice is where I learn to trust that voice. So when I get on the mat and I start to move, it forces me into my body and I start to listen to the cues of my body more physically and that adjusts the tone and the self-talk and those things. So yoga is the space where I learned to develop and listen to that inner voice. Give us an example of perhaps in the studio, in your practice, where you find that place where you need to check in and pay attention. Is a particular pose or a series of poses of things that tend to be pretty consistent on asking you to check in where you're at? I, I think for me is it often shows up in my practice when I find myself looking outside, like let's say I'm taking class. I'm in class, I'm going through my flow, I'm doing everything I want. And then I see someone two mats down throwing up handstands. And my head goes, oh man, not, not today. I want in on this. And so then I start throwing up handstands and my body's like, dude, we're not, we haven't practiced handstands in a while. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting exhausted. I can't catch my breath. And then I realize, wait a minute, now I'm not doing my practice anymore. I'm somewhere else. Time to come back to what I need to. And then so it kind of forces me back into my body, back into checking in with myself, and then recognizing what my intention was for that day. It probably wasn't to be doing handstands against the person two mats down. It was probably just to move and feel good. And so it, it's moments like that that show up, you know. And that's something that, you know, certainly if you're new to yoga, you come into the class, you're trying to get your bearings on where you want to put your mat, first of all. Like, how much do you want to commit to being in this classroom? Do you do it next to the door or you actually go to the other side of the room? So you get kind of settled in and then you're kind of going with what the teachers got laid out. And, and obviously there's good teachers and there's bad teachers. And sometimes a good teacher's class is not the class you need that day. But there comes a moment in the class, I think for everyone where they have to choose to either back off from what we're doing or perhaps, you know, stay in that other pose before going to the next pose. Because when things do get moving, and I think this is a challenge and a problem with some of the more up-tempo vinyasa flow classes, is that before you've had a minute or even a second to spend in a particular pose and check in, 70% of the room and the teacher are moving into the next pose. And at a certain point, you just have to decide, what do I need? And maybe it's a block. Maybe it's going back into child's pose. Maybe it's in the down dog. Maybe it's modifying your plank. And once an individual realizes that, 
they can really get a lot out of that studio practice without having to necessarily put themselves in a place where they're, they're just not comfortable. And I think having that awareness comes with time, but the yoga practice is so great for that. It is hundred percent. I will tell you one of the things that I tell all of my students, look, I'm your guy. I'm going to take you through some stuff that I came up with that I think feels good. But at any point in time, if I say something that you're like, nah, we're not doing this today then you're not doing it. And I don't care. I won't feel offended at any point in time. If you want to go off script, go off script, do what you need to do, because I care that you learn to build that relationship with that little voice inside your head, not necessarily me, the teacher that's throwing commands at you, right? Like my ego can handle it if you decide that laying down on your mat today is what you need. Because I've done that too. (laughs) And that's the practice. That's just knowing what you need and where you are. And you're right. I think there's a temptation to keep up with everyone in the neighborhood in a yoga class and also wanting to just keep up, quote unquote, doing the class and you're finishing what you need. But the practice and the real challenge and the growth is paying attention and what your body needs to do and playing on that edge in like the safest way possible. Yep. hundred percent. I know in the military community, which everyone seems to see as being a very masculine community, but how would you define masculinity specifically within the military community? Yeah. I mean, at least how I've seen it show up and by no means is this the right answer, but I've seen it show up often as, you know, tough as nails, can handle any challenge, won't back down, won't cry, can lift the heaviest of all things, make the loudest of all noises. Like, (laughs) you know, the, you know, somewhat stereotypical image you would see of guys being guys. Right. And so I think that's very prevalent still in the culture of the military. That is a strong area of how it shows up both as a civilian and as a military member, I see that for most guys. You know, I always see it when people find out I'm a yoga teacher. Like, oh, you're a yoga teacher. Comes off very snooty, judgy, I would say, right? Like, who does yoga? Like, you do yoga? Why would you do yoga? And I'm like, yeah, well, come to my class. And then, well. <laughs> so, surprisingly, a lot of guys in the military community are doing and beginning to do yoga. How do you think yoga is changing the definition of masculinity? Well, I think it comes full circle with what I've kind of alluded to earlier in the conversation and also what I've experienced myself. I think guys are starting to understand that they can be both. <laughs> like there's space in their humanity for them to be tough and to be strong and to be the warrior and to also be like, man, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to sit and breathe. I'm going to pause. I'm going to work on my mind a little bit, the way I work on my body. I was thinking along these lines earlier today. We spend so much time on the physical. We have goals. We write them out. We're ready to go. We know what our PRs are going to be in the gym. We have it down to a science. And yet we we just casually pretend like we're going to learn how things work inside of our mind without a plan. And we don't kind of take that same energy and those same efforts and apply it towards calming our nervous system, learning how to breathe diaphragmatically learning how to meditate, learning how to move slowly and to work intricate muscles that usually don't get touched. Like we don't often thread that needle because we're like, who needs that? But you know, we do, we all do. (laughs) I feel like in a lot of ways, things are changing quite quickly for what it means to be a man or how to be a man in sort of a 21st century evolving world. And like, you can't punch stress in the face all the time. You know, it's something that everyone lives with and 
I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, for me, I think we have to evolve, men and women, all of us have to be evolved to a place where you're mindful of your emotions, you're aware of your stress levels changing, and you're gracefully navigating that experience in a way that isn't self-destructive or destructive around everyone around you. And you're able to find that balance and restore. What are your thoughts on that idea? I think that's 100% where I'm at. I've watched my own masculinity evolve, right? Like I have a different relationship with it. I'm the inverse of kind of the old typical stuff that's now changing. I'm definitely more in touch with my feminine, my softness, like all those pieces. I was in touch with that first. And so then I had to go learn all the other stuff. And so I kind of reverse engineered it a little bit. But I think that ultimately, holistically, I think and I hope that men are starting to realize like we don't have to be one dimensional. We can be a spectrum of things, right? The same hands we use to hurt are the same hands we can use to heal. Like it's it's all in the same, but we just have to know that number one, it's okay. And number two, we aren't weaker for it. If anything, we're stronger because we know what we're capable of. We don't have to prove that to anybody, but we also know how to love and how to be compassionate and how to be caring. I feel like you said, I think folks are starting to realize like, oh man, we need to care for men a little differently than we used to. We can't just ask them to beat their heads against the wall and just suck it up and deal. We're not in that world anymore. We're in a world where feelings exist and yes, we need to talk about them and we need to process them so that they can help us as they were meant to do rather than hinder us as we allow them sometimes to. So you and I both know that yoga is great for everyone. Mm -hmm. We also know we're having this conversation because we both believe that more guys should get into yoga to take care of their stuff and take care of their life. Why do you think there's less men doing yoga than women today? I know those numbers are changing. And what might be a factor in why men can't sustain a yoga practice? I would say the number one reason there aren't more men doing is is typically the same reason most people aren't doing stuff. Fear, right? I think there's a big fear component. You're worried about what people are going to say if you go do yoga. It's out of your comfort zone in most cases, right? You know, it's those factors. Those are the, the common barriers to things. And I think if you start there and then you add on the other layers, Finding a teacher that you like and a studio that you feel comfortable in and a space that you want to go to, well, that's, a, that's a small investment of time. Like you got to have at least a simple desire. It's easier if you have someone in your life that's already going and, you know, you could tag along or they can drag you along as I've often seen, right? Like, hey, my boyfriend came because I come to the studio, right? Yeah, this is date number four. He has to do this, right? <laughs> exactly. I've, I've had a few of those show up over the years. I totally welcome them. But it's a little bit of an upfront investment, number one. And then number two, I always tell people yoga is good medicine, but it's slow medicine. It takes a little time. Like you you can't just go there once and be like, man, like I sucked. I'm never coming back. Yeah, well, you're supposed to suck, number one, usually on the first class. And you need to go back and continue at it and allow it to do its work. And then it will help you to work through a whole bunch of stuff that you might not have been aware of that you needed to even work through. So it'll help uncover stuff. <laughs> yeah. When we caught up a couple of weeks ago when we were first having a talk, you mentioned something I want to share back here and I want you to explain it. You said the longer you practice yoga, the more compassionate of a human you are. What did you mean by that? So I've seen this 
in my own life. I've seen it happen to my student. I've seen it happen to my wife when she started practicing. Anybody who spends long enough on their mat, working with themselves and their thoughts and their breath and all the, the combination of factors, over time, they tend to just become more compassionate with themselves. The byproduct of becoming more compassionate with yourself that you become more compassionate with everyone around you. Because when that little voice shows up in your head that's telling you how come you've done this for four classes now and you're not perfect, rather than you going down the rabbit hole of agreeing with that, you learn to breathe through it. You learn to redirect that thought. You learn to realize that if you just stay with the pose a bit longer, that thought will change. And all of a sudden, you've created a small amount of space. And that space continues to evolve and grow as the practice evolves and grow. And so when you're not on your mat, you're less reactionary because you have that same space. Like you can pause and see what's happening. And so you're able to come to the world with a compassionate heart because I think you've given that to yourself, right? And you've learned how to do that from being on your mat. That's right. And I feel that when you're in that place and you have that self-compassion, when you come across or run into others who are having gotten there yet or are not compassionate either with you or anyone in the lane next to them on the highway, or they're just not very compassionate themselves. But when you do find somebody who's in that place and who has developed a sense of self-compassion, I just think it creates much better energy in that environment. There's a greater ease in the air, greater ease in the room. There's a greater ease in that building or on, you know, on the road. And I think that's the place where everyone should be moving towards not just for themselves, but also just for the community around them and at large. I, I would agree with that. Just the vulnerability, the love, the connection that I have with the people that I've met in my yoga journey, or either my peers or students or just people that I've come across. Like It's a different side of the world than I've had the luxury of experiencing. And it is because we share that commonality, right? When you meet someone who's on the same level that you are when, from a yoga experience, you just kind of know. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, these, they know. They get it. <laughs> it's kind of like an inside joke that everybody else has yet to catch on to. <laughs> well, it's so true because if someone talked to me about self-compassion a few years ago, I would have thought they were just like absolutely nuts, you know, or just grabbing for nothing. And I think it is true. I think in my conversations with other guys or when you start talking about some of these things, they totally get it. And then you realize how true a lot of this stuff is because even though what I have just said to them isn't something that's really definable to somebody who's just walking into the conversation, the other person gets it. They understand about awareness and intention and being in the present moment and finding your edge and the mind-body connection. Like it, it all totally exists. And it's hard to drop that on somebody else in like a manual and say, this is how it works. You got to feel it and you got to really work on it until you really develop that feeling and that sensation. And then after a while, it, it's just always there. You can just grab it just with a breath and you can get back to that spot. Yeah, it's a very much a before and after. Like I look at myself and there's moments where life stuff happened and I can remember when I used to get angry about stuff. Like I remember you when I used to have an emotional reaction. And now I'm just like, eh, all right, cool. Like, you know, it's just, it's because I understand, like, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. There's, that's too much of a cost. 
Like I don't want to invest it. It also comes with age. After a while, you realize this is just not worth the squeeze. That too. <laughs> but I do think just with the wisdom that comes with getting older, I think cultivating this awareness and this mind-body connection and sense that all these things are all connected and they do matter. It's hard to measure, but it, it exists and it matters greatly. That's a great gift. And unfortunately, that gift usually comes through a whole bunch of stuff that you wouldn't have signed up for, but it's there through all that and it's there in all of that. So hopefully more guys listening will begin to realize that yoga can do a lot for you. If anything, it can certainly help you physically be stronger and longer and more flexible and have greater balance and ease. But as you say, the the magic's in all the other stuff. It's not just in the physical practice. And it's one of the reasons why I appreciate you sharing your story because it's the stuff like this that I really think people need to start paying attention to and, and learning how to work with. Yeah, I think for any guy out there that's on the fence about if they should do yoga, I would say treat it like you would any other thing that you want to learn to do. Give yourself a solid 30 days of commitment. Invest a little bit of time. Find a couple studios in town. Go check them out. And yes, it's like the first day of school. You're going to walk in there. You're not going to know what's going on. But if you just present humbly to your teacher, I promise you there's more than likely you'll get a good teacher that will welcome you and show you the ropes and understand where you are on your journey and invite you in and allow you the opportunity just to have the experience. It's there. And I really hope to encourage more people to try it out because once you find what clicks for you, then it definitely will make your life a lot better. Well, Dominic, I want to thank you for, number one, your service to our country. I also want to thank you for your sharing of your yoga practice and your teaching, whether it's online or in the studio. And I also want to thank you for spending some time with us on the podcast here. So I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Derek. I appreciate you making time for me and giving me an opportunity to share all of this and just talk about yoga because people who are in it, we love to talk about it. And so if this will help get some folks through the door, I'm all in support of that. Awesome. I look forward to crossing paths soon. Sounds good. Thanks. One of the big takeaways from my conversation with Dominic is learning to build that relationship with the voice in your head. It's essentially listening to yourself to make the right decision when faced with a choice. And that relates back to learning how to do your yoga, physically, and as Dominic pointed out, mentally as well. Our next guest is Brian Linton, who served our country for nearly 30 years in the Army in both active and reserve duty. In our conversation, he speaks to the post-traumatic distress he suffered from what he saw over in Iraq and how yoga has helped him along the way. 